Hi, my name is Kiefer Sutherland, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hi, this is Joe Bonamassa, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, everybody, this is Kenny Wayne Shepherd, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. episode 525 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. In this episode 525, we are pleased to welcome back to the show Mr. Kenny Wayne Shepard, who will be coming in to do a show at the Palace Theater in Greensburg. It's an Elko concert show, March 10th. Tickets are available now. We will have links, of course, on our website. Uh, this show is in support of his latest album called Dirty on My Diamonds Volume 1, uh, which was released in November of 2023, so we're going to uh, talk quite a bit about that record. Uh, also, Volume 2, which is forthcoming as we discuss in the interview. So, without further ado, we're going to jump right into some Kenny Wayne Shepherd and get right into that interview. Night. After far too long, we have Mr. Kenny Wayne Shepherd on the line. How you doing, Kenny? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic here for, as as we talked off mic, uh, kind of the deep freeze that has hit this half of the country. Um, you're going to be hitting the road very soon to kind of do a, a, a new tour, even though it hasn't really been all that long since we saw you. You were kind of celebrating that the legacy of Trouble Is. Um, but this time you've got Dirt on My Diamonds, um, fantastic new record out, and, and you're going to be kind of shifting into some more material from that. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, this is sort of your first new batch of music post-pandemic, kind of how the writing process of this album came about? 
Yeah, it was actually interesting. We we uh, wanted to do something a little different, just shake things up a little bit. So um, because of historically, I've either written, you know, the majority of my material mm-hmm. over the years, either in Louisiana or in Nashville. Um, so this time we decided let's go do something different. And so we went down to Muscle Shoals, Alabama, and we uh, went into the very famous historic fame recording studios where you know so many amazing hit records were recorded back in the day and we were in there for about a week maybe five days something like that and just me and some of the guys that i write songs with and we just as a group i think there was probably six of us at least six of us down there and we just split up into groups every day different groups and stuff in different rooms and it just had a huge writing powwow and it was uh it was interesting. It was, you know, I've never done anything like that before. And, you know, the vibe of that studio, you walk into Fame Studio and it's like a, a time warp. You go literally back in time. Nothing about it has changed uh, since all those cool records were recorded back then. So, you know, there's vibe everywhere. And I think that kind of influenced, you know, the music that we ended up writing and that what ended up going on this record. What I, what I noticed from, you know, listening to the album is that this is, to me, you know what it, it what it spoke to me was this was a collaborative effort to put the song at the forefront. Um, you know, I think of you, you know people think of you. You we remember your time in the G3. You know, kind of a, a you know guitar slinger. But you know, I hear this album and I think this is some quality songs more so than than the guitar. Is that something as you know a lifelong guitar player that you kind of have to mentally take a back seat or is it just you maybe outgrow some of that you know i I showing off this you know for lack of a better term and really get down to what is what is the melody what is you know what's the hook at that point well i think if you look over the course of my career um even though especially in the early days for the first three albums Mm -hmm. i really never sang vocals except Mm -hmm. for like one song on my first album Mm -hmm. so it was really all about the guitar um but at the same time i grew up around a radio station my dad was disc jockey and program director of you know the hottest radio stations in my hometown so i grew up listening to the radio and you know basically absorbing what you know what it took to make hit songs or songs that had mm-hmm. you know great choruses and things like that great melodies and stuff that you know would appe- that appeals to a wide audience of people so when i started writing songs that was kind of already in my dna like to write a song um that wasn't just always a vehicle for uh, a guitar solo i mean you look mm-hmm. at blue on black i mean that was a massive hit and it's not this platform for you know uh, somebody sure. to just show off on guitar the whole time. So, at the core, at my core as an artist, I've always been about the songs. But er, in, in the early days, when you're young, and especially if you don't sing and all you do yeah. is play guitar, you want to really put some emphasis on that because that's what that's what you have, that's the tool that you have to connect with people. And uh, yes, as I've gotten older and as I've started singing more myself, and it's like you know we've taken. I mean, things have evolved, and and I. You know, I wanna. I don't really feel like I have to prove myself yeah. that much anymore, like I did when I was young. It's just really like, you know, being able to embrace who I am as an artist, write and record the the music that I feel inspired to do, which I think fans really appreciate, and then play what's appropriate for that song. Yeah, and and that's not an easy thing to do for a, you know, especially a young player, to to 
and I think you said it so well, play what's appropriate for the song, you know. I, I think all of us, you know, if you have the chops, you know, when, when you're young, you want to throw as much pyrotechnics in, and especially in the era, uh, um, you know, that we grew up, you know, the guitar, you know, especially in, in kind of hard rock and heavy metal was so prevalent, and there were a lot of, like, um, you know, players that had so much to offer that, that sometimes the song took a backseat. Um, but it's it's an interesting thing, you know, like you said, with, with having a singer in the band and, and still you being the brand name, um, you know, it's, it's a, I'm sure, a delicate balance to walk between the song and the guitar hero. Um, yeah. Muscle Shoals, um, for those maybe not as familiar um need to get familiar but is is there many places on earth other than maybe sun studios and and, and going to, to motown that that really have that much weight when you walk in the door of history maybe you know your you know some european studios abbey roads for example maybe another example but places where you you feel like you're walking into history to make a record well, that's the, you hit the nail on the head. It's like Sun Studios in Memphis. There's a couple of different studios in Memphis that, that have that kind of prestige and that history. Uh, Motown, Detroit, obviously, for sure. I mean, you know, there are some places. I mean, you know, for a guy like me, Electric Ladyland Studios yeah. in New York. Um, you know, there's a lot of hit records and history and, you know, the Capitol Records building in LA and uh what is it uh CBS I think it's called Henson Studios now but um yeah I mean there are places like that but you know none that that kind of have created this American fabric you know the way you know the music that came out of you know Memphis and and uh, Muscle Shoals and and Detroit like you were referring to it's like yeah. you know, that's, that's that's the fabric of American music right there you know so how old school of a process in recording? I mean, you know, we think of modern recording technology, you know, anybody could pick up a laptop and Pro Tools and, and kind of start making a record. But when you go there, how have they modernized the techniques or are you still going to tape at Muscle Shoals? Yeah, you can do both. Um, <clears throat> yeah, but they still have the tape machines and all that stuff. But every every recording studio now... Hmm has pro tools and a computer in it i mean you just don't you just don't uh you can't be a studio and not have the digital sure. uh tools available it's pretty interesting too because my first record lead better heights came out in 1995 we recorded that album before pro tools existed so i made my first record 100 percent the old-fashioned way you know and then between the two years between my debut record, Let Better Heights, and then the Trouble Is album, my second album, Pro Tools had had hit the scene, and we were using it on the second record, and it was very uh, interesting, and, and it was experimental, but we were doing tape and uh, Pro Tools simultaneously at the same time, and it's just, you know, obviously snowballed over the years where the majority of people are just making, you know, digital, all digital records, you mm -hmm. know, and there, I mean, there are some huge advantages to using that um in the studio but the unfortunate side effect of that is that you know there's so much so much trickery in the computer that you can use now that you know you can just basically find anyone as long as they just have a certain the look that you're going for and you yeah. can make them sound like anything you want to they don't necessarily have to have the talent to back it up the computer can do it all for them you know yeah and and that was 
you know, that's that's probably even excluding AI anymore, where you don't even need a person and a look. You could just fabricate. I know. Um, if if yeah. money aside, because I know obviously going to analog is is probably grossly more expensive. But money aside, if you were able to just go into a studio today and say, I want to do, you know, a track, would do you prefer Pro Tools really because of the, the flexibility it gives you, or do you like the aesthetics of, of analog from, you know, your earlier days? I mean, well, histor- I would say for the most part, over my 30-year-long career, we have done, starting from the second album, we have done both. Uh, uh, simultaneously on just about every record so we use the tape machine and we'll hit the tape machine with like you know the drum tracks and the vocal mm-hmm. tracks and all the instruments that really truly get the most benefit from the saturation of using tape where you can hear an audible difference in the mm-hmm. sound when it goes through tape versus just the computer and then we use the computer you know for the rest of it and then for editing because it's so much faster to edit and yeah. do overdubs and and things like that in the computer. <clears throat> and then let's say maybe you're doing a vocal and you want to do a bunch of takes. And so you have like 20 takes. You do all those in the computer. Then you find the the best of the best and mm-hmm. you put together what you call the vocal comp, which is the final vocal from beginning to end. Then you would send that through the tape machine to get back into the computer so you get the sound from the tape that you're looking for, the warmth, you know. But, yeah. I mean, I would absolutely, without hesitation, go into a studio tomorrow if I had the option and we had the time and the personnel uh, that has the know-how. I would, without hesitation, go in and do a completely all-analog record uh, straight to tape. I wouldn't even... I wouldn't have a problem not even using the computer at all just because I think everybody should experience that. The problem yeah. is, is you got to find engineers that know how to splice yeah. tape. Like when you make an mm-hmm. edit, you go, hey, we need to – or if you're going to punch a section – uh, you know, with a, one instrument or the whole band at the same time to overdub something, you got to hit it right because you're literally recording over what's there and you can't get it back. Yeah. Um, you know, which in the computer, you can just click a button and you get back what you just deleted. So, yeah. and you got to splice tape. You know, got to have a guy who knows how to do that. But without a doubt, I, I love, um, I love that process, and I, I wouldn't have a problem doing it whatsoever. But most people can't do it, and most engineers that are uh, being trained now um, are computer guys and not yeah. tape guys. Yeah, you've got IT guys and not people with uh, razor blade experience so much. But yeah, exactly. So it's really cool to to to, to kind of geek out on that stuff um, from a from a fan's perspective. You know, it's it's kind of the window we don't always get to see. Um, when yeah. you when you do your takes, or, or do you consider yourself one of the people who will chase a solo no matter how many takes, or do you kind of piece together different parts from different takes and then decide on here's how I want the flow? I'm going to just re-record it, you know, with kind of the greatest chunks of the, the whole thing. Or how how do you approach <clears throat> the solo yeah. itself? Everyone's different, so like. Sometimes, you know, my demos are generally totally stripped down, like acoustic guitar and a vocal. Mm-hmm. And I do that on purpose because um, a lot of times guys, some guys will do uh, really, like, produced-sounding demos. Mm-hmm. You know, they have they have a little studio at their house or the, they're writing with has a studio. And, you know, they want to they present the most complete 
um, version of the idea because especially back in the day, you know, when you have to get the record company to agree, you don't want to leave, leave it up to their imagination. So Mm -hmm. you try and, you know, put your best foot forward. So anyways, you have these really produced demos, but then that, whether you realize it or not, oftentimes dictates what the song is actually going to sound like when you get in the studio. I mean, for some guys nowadays, those become their records because, you know, they do their demos and pro tools and then they just start emailing the track to other people to to add their parts to. Right. Um, But I truly believe that like, you know, part of the mystique and the magic of going in the studio is that you're supposed to create in the studio. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, that's, that's part of the process. So my stuff is really stripped down. Sometimes there will be a guitar solo if I felt inspired in the moment when we're recording the little stripped down demo and maybe some of that stuff will get used. Maybe that will dictate the direction I'm going to go. But oftentimes I just go in there with blank slate, no preconceived idea what I'm going to play and I'll just play something and it either works or it doesn't. And if it doesn't work, then I decide, am I going to build off of what's there or I'm going to try something completely different. And so sometimes I might take pieces of different takes and then go back and replay that all as one. Uh, sometimes I might play and I go, okay, I like the first half of that. Let me punch in the second half and, and keep going at that till, till that's finished. But at a certain point, if it's taking too many attempts to try and get it right, then I'll probably need to take a step back and mm-hmm. come back, uh, you know, a little bit later with a fresh perspective. You said something about, the kind of the acoustic guitar idea for the demo and and that's i think really interesting because you're right i think if your demo is so produced i think people probably have a difficult time hearing it any different than the way you did it but it also mm-hmm. i have to assume helps you weed out what is really a better song which is one of the things that you know i brought up about the record at the top what you know was the quality of the song itself does that kind of discipline of saying okay here's the here you know here's the chords here's the melody you know here it is raw is it a good song does that help by stripping it down to acoustic do you think yeah i should say so yeah i mean because you know have all the benefit of all the trickery and you know the stuff that you can do to try and enhance it or or little you know sounds that you can throw in there to make it sound more interesting right so it's mm-hmm. like here's this is the basic bare bones version of this song does it do you connect with it or not yeah yeah, I think you know, when you think about it, I wonder if, if you're ultimately saving yourself a tremendous amount of time because sometimes, you know, we probably all heard a song where the riff of a song might be really, really cool and the guitar geek and I say, okay, that's that's awesome. But then the melody is this leaves you flat or, you know, something that, yeah. um, you know, so you're kind of maybe cutting around the corner without even realizing it and really weeding out some inferior songs by doing it that way. So yeah. now that you know your, your career is is now you know, thirty years old at this point, um, you're going out on the road with a new record. How much of the new record are you able to introduce into a set without kind of backlash from the fans? And I, I realize that's got to be sort of a, a a delicate balance for, for you know for longtime fans. Is that something you kind of stress about? Well, yeah, I mean, somewhat, but but here's the thing: it's not like, um, you know, we've had a, a pretty great track record with uh, radio singles over mm-hmm. the years. You know, sure. I got in to the industry, you know, really what I believe is is was the end of the real golden age of making records. Yeah. You know, yeah. and um, 
you know, being able to put out singles and watch them run up the charts and, you know, put a platinum record on my wall and a gold record on my wall. And uh, so we had a good string of radio hits. Um, but at the same time, it's like, it's not like we were like a band like Leonard Skinner or, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't know, those kind of bands where it's like people expect to hear these songs that you recorded 40 or 50 years ago and that's all they want to hear. And mm-hmm. you play a new song and they and it kind of falls flat, you know, yeah. because they that's not what they hear on, on the radio all the time. We've continued to record new music and release new uh, albums and work those into the set over the course of my career. Um, and I think our fans, uh, you know, have come to expect that from us. And I mean, otherwise, <clears throat> you know, it's like that's we do new albums so that we can go out and do a new tour and give the the fans a new experience because we do have fans that have seen us like 25 times and stuff. Yeah. So it's I would imagine after I don't know the maybe after the 24th time that yeah. if we were just playing the same set of the same songs uh for the past 30 years like they may not be as interested the next time we're coming through town. So my goal right now is yes to strike that balance. We just did the Trouble Is anniversary tour, 25th anniversary where we played that whole album from start to finish for the first time ever. So after we wrapped that tour up for the last half of last year, we went back to, you know, doing a different set list. And so then I started playing some songs from the first record and some songs from the most recent album, The Traveler, before Dirt on My Diamonds had come out. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was great. But now I'm putting, trying to put together, uh, knowing that a lot of our fans came and saw The Trouble Is Tour, and a lot of them came and, and saw us on the last six or nine months of the tour last year. You know, I want to give them something different. So it's striking the balance between the new album and some of the historic, uh, the catalog pieces that that we haven't been playing for the past two years that I believe they still want to hear. So, yeah, it's a delicate balance. But I'm going to be playing at least, I don't know, probably I would say four songs for the new record. That's half the record because there's eight yeah. songs on the record. Yeah. So let, let's touch just real quick on, on the volume one aspect of the record. Is there a, a volume two in the works, I would assume, or was that just a clever title? Yeah. No, no. It, yeah, there's definitely, it alludes to there's a, a follow-up, which is going to be volume two, and that one's already finished. Uh, we just got to do the uh, Atmos surround sound mixes, but uh, otherwise it's all been recorded uh, stereo mixes have been complete it, it's been mastered so we just got to do the surround sound mixes and figure out a release date i mean i got a lot of different projects going on right now and the, the, which is a great problem to have the only the biggest issue is how does the timing work out for for releasing it all so <clears throat> anyways i'm thinking at the earliest this volume two would probably come out november of this year which would probably be a year after volume one was released that'd be mm-hmm. at the earliest and maybe even be sometime next year but they're connected i mean they, they could have been released as two completely separate albums but i thought it was a compelling idea to to release a volume one and volume two you don't see people do that i mean the last time i remember any record of any real significance being released like that it was a guns and roses uh user yeah. illusion volumes one and two but they put i think they put those out same at day the same time together but, yeah yeah that and, was the... uh, but i want to stagger it yeah, I think that's so. Those songs were they recorded at the same time, like written and recorded at the same time, and this is just you know more material from the same sessions. Yes. Okay. Exactly. 
Awesome. And but you know, frankly, I mean, that's how things go. Like I'll sit down and I'll write. I mean, we we may put ten songs or eight songs on a record, but I I guarantee I wrote at least thirty. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And that's for every album. So it's not unusual um, for me to come out of a writing session with more than one album's worth of songs, and then you know they just end up being recorded over a span of you know a couple of years and released at different times and not considered companion pieces even though they might have all kind of been written around the same time but in this situation they were all written at you know the same time and they will be released as two separate albums but companion records does that help like when you're writing you know and you've got you know kind of a, a gross of songs kind of in in the archives you know different I'm sure post-its and clips on your phone and things like that. But just having that kind of backlog kind of take the stress away when you have a writing session that if, you know, you don't produce, you know, nine songs by date X on the calendar, you you know, you're you're up the creek. Is that help? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what I've gotten, I've just gotten into the habit of, you know, just putting ideas down whenever they come up. I mean, I remember in the 90s and stuff, like, you had to carry around a, a little cassette recorder, mm-hmm. and it was so inconvenient, you know. All our demos were done on these cassette recorders. And, I, you know, I just wasn't the kind of guy. They weren't that portable, you know, and it was yeah. just not, not, like, a thing where, like it is now, where everybody has a cell phone in their pocket. You just didn't carry around electronic devices in your pockets all the time. So I, I can't tell you how many ideas that I had that never got written because I didn't have something to record them on. And uh, so since the phone situation happened and I can basically just record at any moment, um, I have backlogged, like, I don't even know how many hundreds of guitar grooves and licks and things like that that I put on my phone. And then when it comes time to actually write an album, Yes, then I, you know it takes a lot of pressure off. I'll still sit down with my guitar and try and see if I'm inspired to come up with anything new mm-hmm. that I don't already have. But I can flip through those ideas and find the ones that feel like they're they're really you know speaking to me in, in the moment. And go, you know, yeah, well, there's this, 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 and this, and and then you get in the room with people and you present those, and and that's the beginning of, of the process. Yeah, and that's. You're saving yourself the misery, even if you had, you know, the Tascam or the Fostec back in that era of sifting through the tapes and trying to find which one had the idea and worrying if the, if right. the device still works to replay them. So, yeah, that, 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 and you'd be surprised how many people still do that. You know, that people talk to it and, you know, I had this idea in 1991 and I got it on a Fostec and dug it out. And, yeah, it's a whole lot easier with the phone. So, um that's awesome. Well, Kenny, I want to thank yeah. you so much for your time. The, the new record is available now. We'll look forward to Volume 2 hopefully later this year, but we'll see you on March 10th at uh, Palace Theater in Greensburg for, for a show, and we're so much looking forward to that. I want to thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Heart Royal Flush Tour 2024 May 23rd PPG Paints Arena A journey through the hits and timeless classics The iconic band returns with special guest Jeep Trick Reserve seats on sale now at heart-music.com Heart
Connect with Cheap Trick live. Produced by AEG Presents. All right, a big thank you to Mr. Kenny Wayne Shepard again. Dirty on My Diamonds, Volume 1 is available now. Tickets to his March 10th show at the Palace in Greensburg are available as well. We will have links, of course, at ironcityrocks.com. Just click on episode 525 and we'll have all the information you need. Also, invite you to, while you're there, to check out all the other episodes of Iron City Rocks. We've had a tremendous year thus far, and we've got a lot more great interviews to bring you in the very short term. So be sure to check that out. You can get us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you can get podcasts, iHeartRadio. We're there. Uh, Also, check us out on social media. All of our sites are Iron City Rocks. And you can drop us an email at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. Let us know, do you like the bluesy stuff? Do you like the more metal stuff? Do you like the classic rock? Let us know what you're into, uh, bands you might want to hear about more. So we'd love to hear from you. Also want to take a moment to invite you to check out under the awards section of ironcityrocks.com all the winners of the 2023 Iron City Rocks Western Pennsylvania Music Awards. Um, A lot of great, great bands. Uh, 100% fan voted. Um, which we take great pride in not meddling in the results. So I want to check that out and also congratulate the 2023 nominee to the Iron City Rocks Music Hall of Fame, Mr. Mark Anthony. Um, Information on that as well under the awards link. So congratulations to all the winners and, and all the nominees. And a thank you to all the thousands of you who took the time to vote. We really, really appreciate your feedback and the musicians really appreciate it. I think, uh, the feedback we get from you musicians is that it, the fact that it's coming directly from you it makes it special. You know, any rock critic can listen to a record and say, "I hate that, I love it." You know, I'm the same way. But to have thousands of your fans and thousands of people that may not even be familiar with you, you know, just by the fact you're nominated, um, draw you in and say, "Hey, I better give this band a listen." I'm not familiar. And then vote. Uh, you know, the musicians appreciate that. So I want to thank you all for taking that time. So until next time, visit us at ironcityrocks.com. And thank you for listening.